Heavenly Father, as we're moving on to the next part of our time together today, we ask that you be with us. Uh, we come to camp meeting for the time that we can spend together and for the things that we can learn. And uh, we want to ask for two things, one for our own hearing and the second for the speaker. I've been in the place of the presenter before, and I just ask that it would flow well. And also for ourselves, that we'd be able to learn something, to take something, and to make it ours. And we say this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is a blessing to be back with you this morning. I'm glad that you've been able to come and be with us. Tom, thank you for being with us and for your help. Travel safely. He has to go back to work, and so we'll miss having Tom with us. Maya, thank you for playing for us. Beautiful as always. Well, if you missed yesterday, uh, yesterday we started part one of this presentation series about how shall two will become one, and it's based off of, of course, Genesis and the text there in Timothy that you can, or excuse me, Mark 10 that you can see on the screen, which is basically a quote from Genesis 2. And yesterday we talked about the differences between dating and courtship, and we decided based on biblical evidence and based on what we see presented in our modern world that we want to get away from the term dating because dating has become basically just a way to find the next sexual partner within our modern society. Courtship is something which is much more intentional that is designed to find a life partner within the context of Christian marriage guidelines. And so you'll hear me referring to courtship, to courting. And I know it sounds a little old-fashioned, but I think it's a powerful distinction that we can make. And if you missed yesterday's presentation, it will be available uh, at the ABC. You can go in there and ask for the young adult uh, presentations. Or if you would like to have a PDF of the slides, just shoot me an email and I'll be glad to share that with you. My email is very simple. It's pastorbentley at gmail.com. And Bentley is spelled just like the automobile I'll never have. It's L-E-Y at the end. So B-E-N-T-L-E-Y. Pastor Bentley, it's all spelled out. No dots, no spaces at gmail.com. And if you'll shoot me a quick email, I'll be glad to share the presentations with you so that you can look over them in your own time. But today you can see we're going to be talking about part two. Yesterday we talked about the prelude to marriage, which is that pre-courtship, the courtship and engagement phases. But now we're going to talk about you've, you've made it past the I do. Okay, you've said I do, you've had your nuptials as they say, you, you're, you're married, you've started your life together, and now what do you do? And so we're going to try to give you a little help, a little guidance on that today, and I pray it can be a blessing to you. If you do have questions, feel free to raise your hand. I'll do my best to field your questions. And we will have a Q&A time uh, at the very end. So if you want to save your question for then, you can do that as well. But I just want to pause for a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless us. And uh, we are recording these again, so they can be at the ABC for you, okay? So let's bow our heads. Gracious Father, Lord, we are thankful that you said it. It's not good for man to be alone. Father, we appreciate that in your love, in your great wisdom, and in your plan for us, that you designed that we would have a partner in life, that each man should have a woman and each woman should have a man. And so, Father, we just want to honor that and do things according to your plan. And Lord, as we spend this time together today, I need your wisdom, I need your guidance. Lord, I don't want to just share my ideas, my thoughts. I want them to be your thoughts, your ideas, so that we might lead people in a deeper relationship with each other, but especially with Jesus. So, Lord, guide us now in our discussion time. As we present, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So, uh, again, I've been quote, referencing this, but I want to remind you about this as we start out. And this is, of course, the gospel according to Mark, but it's, it's being quoted here from Genesis chapter 2, 23-24. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become what? Come on now, are you awake? The two shall become what? One flesh. They'll be coming together. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. There's something within the special bonds of marriage where it's not that we completely lose our identity as individuals, but that identity shifts. That identity morphs into a deeper identity, a broader identity, because you're no longer just a single unit. You are now a partner and you're united. And and part of that becoming one flesh, Paul references this, it's part of it is sexual intimacy. Okay, and we're going to talk about sexual things a little bit today. I'm not going to get gross or crass or anything like that, but we will discuss a few things, okay? We're, this is in an adult setting, but I will try to be... Uh, I'm a pastor. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to talk about anything that's off color, okay? But we will talk about a few things. And Paul talks about how when we join ourselves sexually with someone, and he actually speaks about it in sexual immorality, he said, you're becoming one flesh with that person. And so that's part of God's design. But we're going to jump in today. I'm going to talk to you. I am going to attempt to talk to you in about an hour in what I normally would take eight to ten weeks to cover with a couple. Okay? So realize this is going to be like drinking from a fire hose. Um, So uh, there's a lot that I would normally throw in. I've tried to synthesize this down to where it's just the basics that I can give you to give you something to think about, to start challenging you in this type of area. But first and foremost, I always share with a couple that is prospectively looking to be married, okay? I always share with them, Christ has to be at the center. If you do not have the bond of Jesus Christ in your marital relationship, even in your courting relationship, you're completely off base, okay? So you've got to have Christ at the center, If any marriage has any hope of survival, it must have Jesus at the very center of it. If you come into it with any other expectation or any other bond that's holding you together, maybe you met at a comic convention. If your marriage is based on Superman, you're in trouble. (laughs) Because the man of steel will not hold you together. He might be able to stop a speeding bullet. He might be able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, but Superman's not strong enough to hold a marriage together. But Jesus is. Okay, so you've got to have Jesus at the center. Now, I'm going to hit something that is sensitive for some people, okay? I'm going to talk to you about being unequally yoked, all right? And the Bible is very clear about this. This means that both husband and wife-to-be must have a saving relationship with Jesus. The Bible is very clear on this, that we should not be unequally yoked. Notice this from 2 Corinthians. Here's the verse, okay? So now you have the reference where it speaks of this. Do not be what? Does that sound like a suggestion? If it's convenient for you, don't be unequally yoked. If it happens to work out, don't be unequally yoked. It's not worded in that way, right? It's in the imperative. It's in a command sense. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then he gives you some logic behind it. He says, for what? Fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. And what communion has light with darkness? 
Now, friends, this is not just as it relates to marriage relationships. This is speaking of all of our intimate friendships. Okay? Your best friend, you should be equally yoked with your best friend. Well, Pastor, here you are telling us that we should just go off into a corner, that we should be isolationists, that we should be insular, we should pull away from everybody. That's not what I'm saying. And what the Bible's teaching is what Paul was trying to teach the church in Corinth was, listen, in your deepest, your most intimate, your closest relationships, they need to be people who are on the same spiritual level as you are. Now, does that not line up then if I'm going to be in a marriage relationship? Is that not the deepest and the most sensitive of all relationships? Of course it does. And so we want to be equally yoked within the marriage relationship. Now, what are we talking about in greater detail? Well, what did I put on? I believe it's 2 Corinthians. Now I'm confused myself. Check it. I, I realize that. Check it for me and find out. Now notice this. What are we talking about being unequally yoked? In places where two oxen are used to plow fields, the oxen must be equally paired so that one ox is not doing all the work. Now think about that in a marriage relationship. If you have one person that's doing all the pulling, how long do you think that person that's doing all the pulling can actually last? They're going to wear out, right? You're going to experience what we would refer to as marriage burnout. Can you get, I mean, it's just, oh, I got to do this again. I can't do this any longer. And you end up in those relationships. Pastor Steve referenced this the other night in his testimony where he shared a testimony about a brother whose wife came in one night and said, I can't do this anymore, right? You remember him sharing that with us. That's what you end up coming up with when you have that, was it second? Yeah, that's what I thought it was second. So I just copied and pasted wrong on, this, on the other slide. Forgive me. All right, so what else? In marriage, this applies in the sense that both husband and wife should be pulling in the same direction together. Again, we're going to see people succumb to marriage burnout if that's not the case. And so when you're choosing someone with whom you're going to spend the rest of your life, you want to make sure that there is an equality there. Now, you remember there were four areas of attraction that I mentioned to you yesterday. Do you remember those four areas of, of attraction? What was the first one? Physical, right? You're going to be married to someone. It would help if you could stand to look at them. Yes or no? Okay, so there is going to be an element of physical attraction. Listen, when you wake up and their hair is going all out and their breath is out to here and, you know, their war paint's not on or whatever, you know, you've got to be able to look at them. So that is an element. What was the second one? Intellectual, you want somebody that you can relate to, right? Someone who can at least follow your train of thought. What was the third one? Emotional. If you are emotionally 25 and the person you're looking to marry is emotionally 15, what did I say when you marry them you just became? Their parent. And so you will have to be the parent in that relationship without the authority to parent them. Because do you think someone that you married wants you to mother or father over them? No, but they're not emotionally mature enough to know that. And then what was that fourth element? Spiritual. There has to be some spiritual attraction there. And these things will play into that overall attraction. So when you're thinking about being equally yoked with someone, all of those elements need to be in place. Can you see that with me? Yes or no? 
And again, I apologize we're moving so fast, we've got a lot of ground to cover here, so thank you for sticking with me. Unequally yoked also means that the husband and wife should share the same faith. I'm not the only pastor in this room. I see several. You could ask them, how difficult is it when one's a Seventh-day Adventist and one's a something else? They can. They can. I, I agree. Even within Adventism, you can have some struggles. But at the very minimum, marry a Seventh-day Adventist. And friends, I'm going to say something to you that's not very popular. In my opinion, there's only two denominations in the world. Catholic and Adventist. Well, Pastor, you're crazy. If you look at adherence.com, there's nearly 40,000 denominations. No, because it says in the Bible there's a mother of harlots, and a mother must have children or daughters, and so you have a mother and daughters of harlotry, which in the biblical context, in the revelation context, in the end time context, that means that there are things being taught that are not true to Scripture, yes or no. So if you have all this group that fits into that, that's basically Catholicism and her daughters. And then you have those that are true to the Scriptures that believe Jesus Christ, they accept His faith, they have His commandments, and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's God's remnant people. And that's not arrogance, it's simply biblical truth. Okay? So at least the starting point for me should be that you're marrying a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. And I don't apologize for asking couples that, in fact, I will not perform a wedding service for an Adventist and a non-Adventist. You want to set yourself up for failure, go to the justice of the peace. I'm not going to give you the keys to do that. Does that sound fair or does that sound harsh? Why do I feel that way? Because I see the heartache. I see the ladies who sit in church and cry because their husband has no interest in their faith. I see husbands whose hearts are broken because their wife won't come and hear the message. Friends, it tears people apart. When a home is divided over religion, it creates at least this minimum of things. Okay, This is not an exhaustive list, but there's going to be tension there. There's just going to be this constant grinding. Okay, it's Sabbath morning. He doesn't want me to go. She doesn't want me to go. Oh man, there's that tension. And it's always there and it's always grating at you. Not only that, but it creates confusion for your kids wondering what the truth really is. I could tell you a number of couples right now that I know of that they go to church on Sabbath, kids get up and they take them to church on Sunday morning. And you can talk to those kids and they have no idea what they believe. Because, well, which is true? Do I love mom's religion more or dad's religion more? Well, mom's church is friendlier, so I might like mom's church better. Or dad's church has more kids, so I like dad's church. You see what I'm saying? It creates an environment where your religious experience is based off of what caters to your emotions and your feelings but instead of being based off of a solid relationship with Jesus and embracing his doctrine. It creates confusion for our kids. And this situation of being unequally yoked it's even worse. It's exemplified more when one marries a total non-believer. I actually could point to you right now several people that I know who are married not only to non-believers but to atheists. And they're devout Seventh-day Adventist Christians. And I ask myself, how did you get there? Were you thinking you would convert them? If you're thinking that, make sure they're converted before you say, I do. Now there's a danger there. 
Because there's a number of people whose names are in the books of a Seventh-day Adventist church who went through Bible studies, got married, or got baptized so that they could get married. But they had no real interest in the church. So you got to be careful for that. And that's where it's difficult for us as pastors because we, we, want, we want people to be baptized, right? We want to see them make a decision, but I want people that are converted, not just wet. Amen? Now, we quickly went through that part. Okay, being unequally yoked. The next bold heading is your personal spirituality. Okay, I cannot say to you how much that this plays a major role in your day-to-day walk in life. Guys, if you're not spending time in the Word of God, you are not feeding your soul and you are not advancing your relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to say this to you. Your prayer life. If all you do is pray over your food, you don't have a prayer life. Does that sound harsh? I'm not trying to be harsh with you. Is it good to pray over your food? Amen. God knows some of it needs prayer. Right? You ever been to a potluck and it's, it's truly potluck? You don't know somebody's cat walked through those mashed potatoes before you ate them. I'm just telling you the truth. So you need to pray over your food. Trust me. But that's not all you need. You've got to spend time talking to the Lord. You've got to spend time listening to the Lord. Go and read Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15 on Jesus' kind of skeleton outline of prayer. There he does some lead-in, then he gets to the Lord's Prayer, and it's kind of just a skeleton. We don't memorize the Lord's Prayer, and that's our prayer life. Those bullet points that Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer were kind of things upon which to hang prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, feed my soul. Lord, feed my family. Lord, teach me what I should take in, what I should consume. You see what I'm saying? How that's just a skeleton outline of prayer. But you've got to spend your own time in the Word and in prayer feeding your soul. Because ultimately, as your other relationships may fail or may end because of death or whatever, Jesus will always be there for you. He will never fail you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And I love what he says in Matthew 28, right? He says, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. He will always be there for you. And if you're not feeding your soul, you're not walking in the armor of God. And I don't know how much you get beat up spiritually, but I need some armor on me. (laughs) I need some armor on me. I get beat up by the devil, and many times it's because of my own habits and own failings, own shortcomings, so I need all the help I can get. I want that armor of God. Now, here's another point that is sometimes controversial. A husband is called to be the spiritual leader. And a lot of guys do not take up that mantle. A lot of guys are more concerned with what the lions are doing or the tigers and bears, oh my, right? Many guys can tell you more about who's up in line for the first round draft pick than they can tell you what they read last in the Bible. Guys, step up to the plate. Be the men that God has called you to be. Be the spiritual leaders in your home that God has called you to be. So, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, let me show you. Ephesians 5, 23 and 24, and hopefully the reference will be right on the screen, right? Here we go. For the husband is the head of whom? Oh, girls, you were awfully quiet on that. Hang on, I've got good news for you, okay? He is the Savior of the body, excuse me, as also Christ is head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. So notice the relationship that's being established here in Ephesians. 
Paul is saying just like Christ is the head of the church, you know, and the church is called a body, the husband within the family unit, which is a subunit of the church body, the husband is supposed to be that spiritual head within the family body, okay? Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in the things that suit them. Now you have to pay attention. In this seminar, I will sometimes quote to you the BSSV. Do you have the BSSV on your phones or at your home? Of course you don't because it's the Bentley substandard version. Okay? I will misquote it to see if you're paying attention. All right? Wives be subject to their own husbands in how many things, saints? Everything. Now, some of the ladies all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, my women's lib nerve is getting ramped up here. Take a breath and calm down. Okay, please. Let me say it, please. Because let me now give you the context. I'm going to give you some greater context in which this was given, okay? This was not given so that the man could be some sort of tyrant uh, or, or dictator. This responsibility from God does not mean that he's ruling over you with an iron fist, okay? Notice now the context, because a lot of guys love to read Ephesians 5.22. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. And then they, did you get that woman? Fail. You just failed. Read the rest of the verses, guy, okay? Notice this. The Lord places great responsibility upon the husbands in the very next verse. Here comes the verse that is awesome that I love. Husbands do what? Love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and He did what? Gave Himself. So now here's the context. Wives, you are supposed to be submissive you were supposed to be led by a man who loves you sacrificially. So if you have a man that loves you sacrificially, that seeks to build you up, that goes out of his way to make you feel like a queen, you would be a fool not to be submissive to that man. Does that make sense? God's plan works. But guys, if you and I walk around like we're some sort of, you know, we're the greatest thing since buttons on a shirt, and woman, you better have my supper and you better fix this, you're out of your mind. Christ gave Himself for the church. In other words, Christ's needs went unmet that He might meet the needs of the church. Parallel that now to the husband. Husband, your man cave shouldn't be done until your honey-do list is done. I'll tell you how much I love gardening. Anybody in here love to garden? I hate it. I could kill silk plants. I, I don't know how it is. That's why I do my gardening in the produce section at Meyer. That's, that's where I do it. Now, I don't mind mowing grass and weed eating. I love doing all that, making the grass look good, you know. But gardening, forget it. Mother's Day. My wife, my ginger. She said, sweetheart. Yes, dear. I would like a raised garden bed. You'd like a what? I'd like one of those beds that's raised, you know, I don't want to plow up the yard. I want one of these raised beds, you know, I can I don't have to bend over too far. And 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 I and I'd like it thus and such big and thus and such deep. And here's where I would like it at the house. And in my mind I'm thinking, Oh Lord, take me. But because I love my wife, I started sketching out what she said. I started doing a materials list. 
And I went on Mother's Day this year to Home Depot. And I'm going to tell you, the parking lot on Mother's Day at Home Depot looks like the parking lot at Walmart the day before Christmas. I mean, they're from the front door into the restaurant beside them. So I'm there and I fight through this sea of people. I get all these landscape timbers. I get these big spikes. I get all this stuff. And I get started. And it only took me 19 days to build it. Listen, I got as much as I could done and I had to pastor in between it. I really only worked on it two and a half days. But I had to go. I have this little trailer that's four by seven and it's got sideboards on it this deep. That trailer will only hold one yard of dirt. I had to make five trips to the landscape place and then all of that dirt came off my trailer like this. You know why I did that? Because I hate gardening? No. Because I love my ginger. And I'm going to tell you, if you could see the look on her face when she came around the corner and saw that raised garden bed, I'm going to tell you what, in her mind I was 25 feet tall. Even though I stand a whopping 5 foot 7 and a half. Guys, it's about sacrifice. I don't care a thing about gardening. I don't even want to know how deep you have to plant it. I don't want to know any of it. It doesn't interest me in the least. I'll probably starve to death in the time of trouble, but I got equity. I'll might last a little longer. But it comes down to loving your wife. It comes down to loving her sacrificially. And ladies, I want to tell you, if you've got a guy that's trying to love you that way, man, go out of your way to make his life. And then notice what ends up happening. I, as the husband, striving to build up my wife. My wife, as, as my wife, striving to build me up. And then it's, it's almost like you almost trip over each other trying to help each other out. Isn't that beautiful? It's beautiful. And I'm going to tell you, it's what God intended. So we're called to love them sacrificially. So the husband's not there to lord over his wife. He's there to do what? What's the two things? Serve and lead his wife and the rest of the family in being what type of leaders for Christ? Servant leaders. Guys, that's what Christ has called us to be. Now, is that a high standard? Better believe it. Is it hard to do? Better believe it. Is it easier with Jesus' help? Better believe it. Are there any parents in here? I'm about to upset you. So I'm about to talk to you about leaving and cleaving. And this is, I've actually had some mama bears come find me after I present this module to their little ducklings or cubs. I said mama bears, so they'd have to be cubs, right? We must establish our own households. Okay? Um, Bible calls us to leave home and join together in our own family unit. Notice this from Genesis 6. Quote back from Mark, right? This was quoted in Mark. Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother. What was that first word? Leave. Not, not, not bring honey home and let's, let's, let's suck off mom and dad, okay? Leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. So what I counsel folks that are looking to get married, the operative words here are leave and cleave. It me means that marriage should not be considered 
until we have the ability to have our own place. And I don't care if that's an apartment, I don't care if that's a, a, a house, a trailer, whatever it is. Have your own place. Oh, we kind of we need to get married and we'll just live with mom and dad for till we can get on our feet. Ixnay on the plan A. I don't know pig Latin, but just cut that off. If you're not ready to be able to get your own place, you're probably not ready to get married. Does that sound too harsh? Now, I'm not going to say that there won't be times where you don't need each other's help, parents to kids. I'll give you an example. My wife and I had our place, and Ginger's mom and dad were selling their home, and they were building another home. Well, the, they needed to get out of this home a month before the other home was finished. And so her mom and dad moved in with us. No problem. We love her mom and dad. They're great people. They're Christian mentors in my life. Love them to death. But then, before the month was over, the home we were living in, owned by my uncle, he came to me and he said, I'm selling your house. I need you to get out. Well, thanks, Unc. So we all moved in to the new house. So we ended up being together about two and a half months. Doesn't seem that long. It really only felt like five minutes underwater. <laughs> it's not because there wasn't love. It's because every time I stepped out the door, her mother, oh, where are you going? And it didn't hurt badly at first, but the 29th time, you know how that, that start, those hair on the back of your neck just starts moving? So my answers became out. When will you be back? Later. I'm a grown man. I'm married. I'm not telling you where I'm going every time I leave. And maybe there was some pride there, some arrogance. I'm not going to say that there wasn't. But the point is, I had been used to living on my own, and now all of a sudden I got mama again wanting to know when my curfew is going to be. It, it, it created tension. It created friction. And if you don't think it will happen with you, maybe you're the anomaly in the universe that it won't happen to but eventually it'll get on your nerves and it'll get on their nerves. Okay? So it's best to have your own place to live. One of the reasons is that in their eyes, your parents' eyes, you'll always be their kids. Right now, my oldest is 16. His sister, July 1st, will be 15. Their little brother is 13. And when they are 40 and older, they will always be Ginger's babies. You, I don't care how old they get, there will always be mama's babies. So that you'll always be the kids in their eyes, okay? And you also need to, to learn how to make decisions. It should be learned, forgive me. You need to learn how to make decisions on your own. If you think you're going to get married and just live with your parents, you're really creating a co-dependent relationship where you're saying, I'm going to farm out my decision-making to someone else. And what does that do for your emotional maturity? Does it increase it or stunt it? It stunts the growth of that emotional maturity because you're not having to make decisions on your own. Now, so you're saying, okay, pastor, just forget about our parents and never ask them anything. If you leave here with that understanding, it's yours. I didn't say that. I'm saying to you, though, you've got to learn how to stand on your own two feet. Okay? And if you don't have the financial ability to do that, you might want to reconsider whether you're exactly ready for marriage. And I don't think that's being unfair. I think it's what the Bible calls us to do.
you got to learn to set appropriate boundaries. And here's where it gets a little tough. This applies to your family and friends. I have seen situations where some guys never really... I'm trying to find the best way to say this. They never really look to their wife to be a partner in making decisions. They farm all that out to mom. And so mom's making decisions in the marriage and husband's coming home and saying, well, this is what my mom said we should do. How many times do you want to hear that, ladies? Does your, mother, does, does, does your mother-in-law gain higher esteem in your eyes under that scenario or lower? All of a sudden you're like, listen, I didn't marry your mom. Right? And one day you're going to blow up and lose your mind. Okay? Some parents try to run the lives of their kids long after they move out. And so I have actually had to counsel some couples, be careful how much information you tell your parents. If your parents are so nosy that they won't let you make your own decisions. This is where some mama bears have come to see me. What do you mean you told so-and-so not to tell me everything? And I kindly look them in the face and I say, I love you, but it's not your business. If you want more kids to raise, become a foster parent. But you've raised this one. You've given him the blessing to marry her. Leave them alone. Please. It's what needs to happen. Now, you and your spouse must learn how to tell your parents when enough is enough. And you have to do that in love. You don't just come to your mom and dad who've given everything for you and say to them, get out of our business. You just have to lovingly say, you know, mom, Ginger and I are going to make that decision. Pray for us that we can make the right decision. Do it in love. Do it in kindness. But set some appropriate boundaries. If one of you is always taking cues, it's going to ask for trouble. But notice this. It's appropriate to seek guidance from your parents, grandparents, or other folks that you look up to. They have wisdom that you can draw from. Okay, So I'm not saying shut out those people in your life who have such great life experience, but know what's appropriate to ask. Make the decisions together as a husband and a wife and saying, okay, let's, should, who should we ask about this? Friends, I'm telling you, the Bible says there is wisdom and safety in a multitude of counselors. Seek counsel from those people who have gone before you. Why reinvent the wheel? Just pick one up and roll it. Well, I think I'll try a hexagonal wheel. Yeah, the round one still works better. <laughs> so use that store of wisdom that you can draw from, okay? Continuing with appropriate boundaries. you got to do this with your friends. Sometimes it's not mom and dad that don't know when enough is enough. Sometimes it's your friends. And I'm going to tell you, we live in a nosebook society. In a what society? Nosebook. Now I know Mark Zuckerberg supposedly created an online social media existence known as Facebook, but I think it's really nosebook. Because a lot of it, we're just, I, mean, I want to get in everybody's business. Let me, let, me, let me get up in everybody's business. Right? It's good to connect with people. I use Facebook as a ministry front. I don't put anything personal on Facebook. I actually have had people tell me when I had personal stuff on Facebook when I first started, you don't post enough pictures of your kids. 
hello, they're my kids. I don't care if you don't think there's enough pictures on there. It's none of your business. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. You, you say it a lot nicer, right? Well, we don't want to have so many pictures out there. You know, people stalking our family. You know, there's nut jobs in the world. But ultimately, what I'm saying is it's not in your business. What I put on there is my business, okay? And so we have to tell some of our friends, hey, you know what? I've got to back off a little bit, all right? And if you've got some friends that come over too often or push their way into your business too much, it can cause hard feelings between you and your spouse. Why is so-and-so always over here? We can't do anything unless you drag so-and-so along. You've got to set some appropriate boundaries. Make sure you're having enough time as a family unit if your spouse is especially sensitive to that. Okay, you've got to communicate together. Friends, please get this part. Never share anything with your friends or family that would be an embarrassment to your spouse. Don't try to embarrass each other. And I'm not talking about if you're, if you're in an abuse situation, oh, hide that because it would embarrass. No, 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 no. Get out of that abusive situation and tell somebody that so-and-so is abusing you so so-and-so can go put somebody in their place. I've told my daughter, if a man ever lays a hand on you, please tell me. Because that brother is going to have something coming his way. And it might be moving at 2,000 feet per second. I'm just telling you, I didn't raise my little girl for some guy to take advantage of her and beat her up and abuse her. She's my princess, not your conquest. So ladies, if you're ever in an abusive relationship, don't put up with that. Love should not hurt. Love should not hurt. And if somebody hits you, they do not love you. They do not love you. Trust me on that one. And tell somebody that you can get some help and safety. Get out of that situation, okay? So I'm not talking about that type of thing, all right? Here's a big point. With your friends especially. Don't talk about your sex life too much. I mean, you might have little conversations or girlfriends might need a little advice on certain things or guys, whatever. But you don't want to sit there and talk about intimate details of your sexual time together because you may cause your friends to think of your spouse in a sexual way. So now instead of I'm looking at my friends, you know, my buddy's wife, she's not just, oh man, tiger in the bedroom. I don't want, I don't want to be thinking that kind of stuff. Okay, so keep those details private where they belong. Okay, you don't want to arouse that kind of stuff in anybody else. <clears throat> now this one, I may step on some toes, and I'm not trying to. Okay, I come from a divorced family. In fact, I am the only person in my family that I know of, on my side of the family, who is still in their first marriage. And I'm not, no, Pastor, you don't understand. Listen, please. I'm not here beating up anybody that's divorced. Okay, please hear me. I I love people. Okay, I'm not in ministry to hurt people. But what I'm saying to you is, is that many times divorce is used when it doesn't have to be. Are you tracking with me? Okay, so here's what I'm saying to couples that I do counseling with. Okay, I'm not putting down all these crazy divorced people. You know, you don't want to end up like all them. I'm not saying anything pejorative or anything like that. I'm saying if you can prevent it, it's the best option. Okay, and here's what I say to them. 
I challenge every couple to make a covenant with each other and the Lord that divorce will not be an option for them. When Ginger and I were doing premarital counseling, pastor didn't bring that out, but she and I started talking about it because I looked at my family, marriage two, marriage three, marriage one, two, three, four. four. My sister's been married four times, my older sister. I told Ginger, I said, I'm not interested in getting married if divorce is an option. So I told her, I said, I want our covenant between us and the Lord that divorce will never be an option. Regardless of the circumstances, we will find a way to work through it. And I asked her, I said, are you willing to commit to that? And she was. And we've been married almost 22 years, June 26th. Does that mean that every day has been a bed of roses? No, some days, some days I would have just as soon been blown over a bridge in a wood chipper. Just get me out of here. Take me out of it. It's horrible. But because we took divorce off the table, we figured out a way to work through it. And because we took the time to work through it, because here's what happens. A lot of times people get divorced and the same trouble or the same reasons that caused them trouble in the first marriage they just pack those right up in their suitcase and tote them right into the next relationship and then we can't figure out why marriage two failed. Pack that up and go to marriage three. I can't figure out why marriage three failed because you're not resolving issues. And if you take divorce off the table, it forces you to get creative in resolving issues. Does that make sense at all? It does not mean that each of you has a license to do what you want and your spouse just has to sit back and live with it. It does, oh, okay, divorce is not an option, so I can woo do whatever I want to. We're not saying that. You still need to live as a committed marriage partner. But it means you will exhaust every other resource and method of reconciliation without letting divorce become a part of the conversation. And friends, is that hard sometimes? Some of the hardest work you will ever do is fighting through, working through, making your way through marital issues. But it's worth it. It's worth it. There were times Ginger and I could have called it quits. We were fed up with each other. We were aggravated. We let things build up, blah, blah, blah. But because we had this commitment to each other, we fought through it. And because we did, we now have a marriage that's stronger and better than anything I could have ever hoped that it would have been. And I praise God for that. It's not because I'm smart enough to do that. It's because God took mercy upon us and He honored that covenant relationship that we made with Him. People often ask me as a pastor, what's biblical grounds for divorce? There's only one given in marriage, or excuse me, in the Bible. It's Matthew 19. Here you go. They had been asking Him about divorce. Well, Moses gave certificates of divorce Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. In other words, it was never a part of God's plan. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality. So in other words, adultery is the only biblical grounds for divorce, according to Jesus. Except for that, and marries another, commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. These are strong words, but they're Jesus' words, and they're given in love. They're not given to condemn anybody. They're not given to make anybody feel badly. He's simply saying, it was never our plan. It was never my plan 
that you would join as one flesh and then separate from that bond. That's what he's saying. He's not trying to beat anybody up, trying to make anybody feel badly. Okay? All right. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm going to need y'all's help. This thing has a mind of its own. There should be a notification that's overriding it. You may have to command tab to get back to it. Thank you. Now, we just ended up on staying true in divorce. Don't divorce. Now I'm going to switch gears rapidly and go to the next section. Okay? Normally, you would have time to digest this and go home and talk about it, but now we don't. So we've got to keep going, okay? So if you've got questions, hold on to those. We'll get to them in a minute. Here's the next module that I cover with people. Continue courting in your marriage. You would not believe how many guys and ladies stop courting after they say, I do. Well, I got her now. I can just put all my defenses down, and now she's my house slave. I had a buddy that was so messed up one time. He said, do you know why brides wear white? So they'll match the other appliances. Now, that was a very misogynistic and hateful view of marriage, yes or no. Okay, I don't agree with that. I don't, I don't ascribe to that. And so, guys, what I'm suggesting to you, and guys, yes, I'm putting most of the burden on you. Chase her in the marriage as much as you chased her before the marriage. Do little things for her to make her feel special. In order to create true intimacy within the marriage, we want to do the little things each day to make our spouse feel special. Have some manners. You didn't sit around when you were dating and expel all kind of gaseous things from your body. You didn't sit around when you were dating to going out to eat. <laughs> Wasn't that a good one? Watch me do the ABCs now, honey. You didn't do all that crazy stuff. You treated her special. You bought her little gifts for no reason. You made, went out of your way to make her feel, man, I want to be with this guy. Be that type of guy who continues to do that. Leave little notes. They have these little things. They're, these little, they're little markers that are perfect for like shower doors. Buy one of those little markers and leave her a note on the shower door that night. You know, and that way when she gets up in the morning, she goes in there and, oh, I love you, sweetheart. It sounds corny. But guys, I'm going to tell you, it's absolute gold. It's gold. Your wife will eat it up. She will love that you went out of your way to do something special for her. Foreplay. Which word? You can't even say it, can you? Friends, I want to say this to you. And this is not to be crass or anything, okay? That word is not a dirty word. And it does not just involve S-E-X. Okay? Foreplay, in my opinion, is something to create intimacy within your marriage relationship. And intimacy does not just happen on a sexual level. Intimacy happens in how we connect with each other emotionally. Okay? I'll even give you kind of a twisted scenario. There are examples, and they caution us this when they're training us as pastors. There are examples where a lady in a marriage relationship is so starved 
or an emotional connection, that they will connect sometimes with the pastor, and the pastor's not going out of the way to do anything. It's just, he's nice to me, he shakes my hand, he says nice things to me. That emotional connection is happening, and there have been instances. I had a friend of mine. A lady came to him for counseling, he thought. He'd got a little tickle in his throat, so he stepped out to get a drink of water. He came back to his office, and she was completely disrobed in his office at the church. And it wasn't because he was some big stud muffin or whatever. He was a little guy. I mean, his leg's big as my arm. He wasn't Brad Pitt or something like that. Just an average guy. But she had connected with him emotionally because there was a void at home. Are you following me, saints? And so what I'm saying to you, when I talk about foreplay, I'm talking more so about emotional connection and a connection that's there because of all those little things that happen throughout the day. Okay? I'm not talking about just that encounter. I'm talking about creating an atmosphere of intimacy. And men, I'm going to say this to you. And ladies, if you think I'm off base, tell me. But I have come to believe through personal experience and through interaction with married couples that wives crave emotional connection. They want somebody who knows that they're cared, that cares about them. I'm interested in what's going on with you. And we must learn to connect on that level. Many of us guys don't know how to do that. Right? And remember, I told you, ladies, yesterday, that we as guys oftentimes don't need very much by way of stimulation for sexual arousal. Honey, would you like to go to bed? Yep, I'm ready. Ladies, it's a very different story. If a lady hasn't connected with her husband on an emotional level, many times that desire for sexual contact is not there. But guys, I want to say this to you. If you have connected with your wife on an emotional level and she knows that you care for her and you've been living for her sacrificially, then she's going to connect with you on a sexual level that you would not believe because she fills into that bend because of that emotional tie. And I want to say this to you. I'm not going to take time to turn to the verse. I, I may have it on the screen. Let me see. We want to follow 1 Peter 4, 8 and have fervent love for one another. That's love that is passionately intense. Yes, I have it. Here it is. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love will cover what? If you love your spouse enough, you may not recognize that they don't know how to dispense toothpaste. Are you crazy? No. I have a wife who does not know how to dispense toothpaste. Anybody knows that if you're going to dispense toothpaste, it happens from the end, and it is all squeezed together. You don't grab that thing and squeeze it in the middle. See this brother here? He's lost like that. We've got to work on this brother. Anybody who's got good sense knows that toilet paper comes off the top, not from underneath. Go to a hotel. You'll never go to a hotel unless it comes off the top. Otherwise, they couldn't put that pretty little V in it. It's just standard operating procedure. But all of those little things that drive you crazy will drive you crazy if there's not a fervent love there. My wife and I fixed it. She has her toothpaste that she can squeeze and gum up and do whatever she wants to do. And I have one of those little bottles it has a cap, and you gently squeeze it, and, and, and I have peace and harmony. 
I want the toilet paper to come off the top. She wants the toilet seat down. So guess what? Our toilet paper comes off the top, and guys, guess what I do? I put the seat back down. Guys, I'm going to tell you, go out of your way to make concessions for each other. Because I'm going to tell you, my wife, she asked me one time, she said, can you not put the seat down? And in my great brilliance, I said, well, can you not put the seat down? Or better yet, why don't you just raise it when you're done? That was smart, wasn't it? I told you it was in my brilliance. She said, well, here's the reason. She said, if I happen to go into the restroom at night and I don't want to turn on the light to disturb you, I don't want to sit down in the bowl. It'd be helpful if the seat was down. I felt about that big. From that moment forward, I have strived or striven. I've worked hard to never leave a toilet seat up because I care for my wife. But if we have that fervent love, it covers some of those multitudes of sins. Now, finances, I'm going to hit this at lightning speed because tomorrow and the next day, Pastor Corey is going to take time to go through Christian finances, okay? So I'm not going to go into this as exhaustively as I normally do because I'm not going to steal my brother's thunder. I'm going to let him do this. But here's what I go over just in brief, okay? you got to follow God's counsel in Malachi. Okay? God says, you've robbed me with your tithes and offering. Be faithful in your giving, friends. Be on the same page with that with your fiancé and your spouse, because I've actually had situations, two Seventh-day Adventists, one wanted to return tithe, wanted to do what with tithe? Return it. Did I say pay tithe? You don't pay tithe because it's not yours. You return tithe. Okay, But I've had spouses say, I don't want to return tithe. And one said, I want to. And it creates tension and conflict. Okay, Disagreement on how to handle money is a major, if not the major cause in marital strife and sometimes eventual divorce. Infidelity actually ranks second. More people get divorced over finances than they do infidelity. If one is a spender and the other is a saver, the saver should manage the money. If both of you are savers, then y'all sit there and rub your pennies together together. If both of you are spenders, God help you. I'm serious. And you need to figure that out. That might be part of the compatibility testing that you figure out before you set a wedding date, before you say I do. If you find out that both of you are spenders, you might want to seriously think about that. Because I'm going to tell you, those habits are hard to cultivate if they've not been put there from a young age. Pastor Corey will expand more on that, I'm sure. Develop a budget and a spending plan early on and do your very best to stick to it. Can't tell you how important this is. He'll talk more about it, okay? I want to say this one. Hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me. Please, begin investing in your retirement and savings before you have children and don't touch it. One of the best things you can do is start setting some money aside for retirement. Find a good way to, to manage some, you know, to manage that. Maybe it's a mutual fund. You know, Pastor Corey, he, he was a, a branch manager for Regions Bank before the Lord called him into full-time pastoral ministry. And so he knows about all these investment tools. You can talk to him. You can ask him about that, okay? He's got a good knowledge and background of that. 
but you've got to put it in there and just leave it alone. You need to do the same thing with your savings. You need to have some money set aside. Well, pastor, we're paying school bills. We're doing this. They didn't say you had to save $1,000 a month. But you need to be putting something aside. You need to be making some investments. Okay? Oh, mercy. How do we get to the sex talk when we got 10 minutes left? Go over. Elder Jay said, preach as long as you can keep them, right? A lot of couples, they lose the happiness they had when they were first married. A lot of couples, when they first go into marriage, are driven by lust. By what? Lust. Now, how do I define lust? I'm defining lust as a desire to satisfy your sexual cravings. Okay? Especially if you have been celibate, if you've been chaste like you should be before marriage, and then you're like, you're just raring to go, you know, I want to check this stuff out, I want to get in there and, you know, whatever. Um, a lot of times when that sexual appetite has been satiated to a certain level, you wake up and you realize, man, I've got a marriage. And it becomes work. So I'm going to say to you that being faithful, continuing to court, and all these other things that I've been mentioning to you, treating each other, loving each other sacrificially, being servant leaders to one another, doing all those little things to build intimacy, connecting with each other emotionally, those are healthy things that keep from having trouble in this area, okay? But you want to avoid any situation that can cause you to place someone else in higher esteem than you hold your spouse. So if you're seeing your spouse three hours a day in the evening, a few minutes in the morning, but you're spending 8, 10, 12 hours a day with somebody at work that's also sweet, check yourself. Check yourself. You do not need to develop those intimate relationships with somebody at work. Be careful. Be careful, especially sharing intimate details with people of the opposite sex. Okay? And in this world, be careful with the same sex if that person has those type of leanings, okay? Because they may make advances on you, okay? And some people will make advances on you even when you're trying to do the right thing. I was deployed to Iraq. Had a soldier come up to me. She knew I was married. And she said to me, Bentley, when are we going to hook up? I thought she meant something. She was part of battalion staff. I was part of battalion staff. I, my mind went to, is there some project I forgot about? And I was like, well, when do we need to? It was an innocent response. She said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm free about 4.30 or 16.30 in the military. I said, so what is it, what is it, we, were, what is it we were going to be working on? She said, you're going to be working on this. I said, you have lost your mind. I said, you, don't, I said, you know I'm married. Why would you even come to me with that? She said, well, I know you're married. You're not looking for a commitment. There was, there was no ambiguity at that moment. I knew what was going on. And I said, you know what? Do me a favor and don't ever speak to me again unless it's army business. Are we straight, soldier? Whatever, Bentley. But I'm telling you, you don't have to be Tom Cruise. You don't have to be whoever, you know, who, who are the hot lady actors these days, whatever. If you're, if you're kind to people, if you connect with people emotionally, it's going to create attraction. 
You've got to be careful. You think I changed my ways a little bit? And I wasn't trying to be flirtatious or anything. But I, I, that made me more mindful of how I spoke to female soldiers. Okay? You've got to be careful using these websites. You can get in so much trouble. I had, back when I was deployed to Iraq, from June of 06 to June of 07, MySpace was still the big thing. Facebook was just coming on the scene. Anybody remember MySpace? It's still out there, but MySpace, MySpace was the, the big thing. It was bigger than Facebook, and then Facebook took over, right? I had soldiers that would come to me for counseling. I was part of the chaplain corps, and they would say, yeah, I was looking on my wife for my girlfriend's MySpace, and it's all this and that. Okay, they were cheating online and thought it was hot being hidden. Guys, I'm going to say this to you. You should not have an account for social media or email that your spouse doesn't have the password to. I'm dead serious. My wife knows my Facebook password. It's because it's our Facebook password. She knows the passwords to my email. Now, she knows that I get certain pastoral communications that are sensitive, so she doesn't go through and read my pastoral mail. But I'm going to tell you, I don't meet with a lady in our church unless my wife is sitting right there. Or another elder, or a deaconess, if my wife can't be available. I'm not putting myself in those situations. And I love on my church families. My church families will tell you that I go out of my way to love on them. I love our folks. They're good people. They're striving to get to heaven, same as I am, and I want to be a partner with them. But they know if they ask me for a meeting, somebody's going to be sitting right there with us. You've got to be safe. If courting is a continual aspect of the marriage, this garbage will never be a problem. If you're taking care of your business, and guys, I'm going to tell you, take care of your business. Do your homework. Are you tracking with me? Do I need to get any more explicit than that? Take care of your business. Do your homework. I'm not going to expand upon this very deeply, but when it comes to sex, you and your spouse need to be in agreement as to what sexual experiences you want to have within marriage. And I'm going to say this to you. Just because you're married, it doesn't mean that anything goes. Okay? Some of the stuff that's, that's being done out there, especially with bondage and some of this other stuff, friends, it's, it's twisted. And it's a perversion of, of what God intended sex to be. Okay? Now, I am of the opinion that sex is not just for procreation. Obviously, that's, that's one of the functions of the sexual uh, you know, experience, to be fruitful and multiply. But I believe God also intended the sexual experience to be something very enjoyable, something very pleasurable in a healthy marriage relationship. Okay, But talk to your spouse about what they're comfortable with, what, what they might want to experience. And set boundaries, but be open. Talk about it. Talk about it with your spouse, not with everybody else. Okay? Again, you don't want to engender those feelings of sexual arousal in your friends or family with your spouse. Okay? Keep that private. And I've said this before, I think it bears repeating. Foreplay is the key to mutual sexual fulfillment. And it's not that foreplay that happens two minutes before you go dive in bed. I'm talking about foreplay that happens all day long in every little thing because the intimacy that you share throughout the day is the same intimacy that will spill over into the bedroom. 
and you show me a couple that's engaging each other in intimacy and emotional connection throughout the day, and I'll show you a couple that has a healthy and happy sexual relationship. It is a cause and effect. In, now, are there sometimes medical conditions that prevent some of those things? I'm not talking about that. You know, erectile dysfunction, painful, you know, for the ladies, whatever. Set all that aside. Normal, healthy function. This is a winner every time. And a lack of intimacy. Notice the inverse of this is a lack of intimacy in all other aspects of life will cause a chill in the bedroom. And then when the chill's in the bedroom, well, let's go see what's online. Let's go do things with myself. Am I being explicit enough? Are you tracking with me? Well, let me, let me, let me do this little chat room. Well, well, let me just go meet somebody. Let me just go have coffee. Next thing you know, you're laid up in a hotel with somebody that you don't have any business even having talked to two months ago. Take care of your business. Do your homework. And I am so out of time. But I've got to give you this. You've got to talk about things. Now we're on to communication. I've got to hit this quickly. Don't go to bed angry. Talk about something if, if, if you have been upset. Ephesians chapter 4, and I believe it's around verse 25. I'm shooting from the lips, so you'll have to write that down and check me on it. But it says, do, it says be angry, but do not sin. In other words, it's an emotional reaction to get upset about something. It's when you linger on it and don't resolve it that it becomes sin. And the Bible even says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And your, your spouse may need a few moments to collect themselves, but then make time to come back together and talk about it. Okay? Uh, cumulative stress. In other words, little thing didn't get dealt with. Little thing didn't get dealt with. Little thing, big thing, little thing. And all of a sudden, you remember the proverbial thing, the straw that broke the camel's back? That is a definition of cumulative stress. Little things and big things piling up that never get dealt with, and all of a sudden it crushes us and we go postal, so to speak, and flip out, and I'm done, forget you, get out of my life. And it's all because you didn't communicate and deal with the problems as they came up. Don't confide things in others that you should be talking to your spouse about. Don't go, no, 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 go back and talk. People come to me and say, Pastor, so-and-so did such and such. You know what my first question is? Did you talk to them? Well, no, that's your job. No, 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 honey child, as my mama would say. You go talk to them. What does Matthew 18 tell us? If your brother has sinned against you, go and tell him his fault. Handle it between the people. Work it out with your husband. Work it out with your wife. Don't go bad-mouthing them to everybody else because you're really the one that looks badly because you didn't have enough sense to handle your business. I want to say this to you. Number four here, I wish I had the time to give you an entire seminar on this number four. Having a weekly marriage meeting. Now, doesn't that sound lame? I don't think it does. You want to meet weekly, just the two of you. Get rid of the distractions. Turn the cell phones on airplane mode if you can. Turn the TV off. Make sure the kids are either with somebody, you put them to bed. You want to sit together. 
Again, that connection, right? You're, you're trying to, there, there's something about sitting close to someone that, that breeds intimacy. So sit together. Jot down notes through the week about things you want to discuss. And many of us, we can do that on our phones, right? So put a little thing, oh, I want to make sure. And, be, and you'll see why this is especially important because the very first aspect of the meeting is praising each other. So write down little cool things. Oh man, that was really cool that she did that. I really liked that casserole. That mystery dish wasn't so mysterious after I tasted it. You know, write down those little things that you can praise. Jot down those notes. Bring your calendar. You say, well, why do I need a calendar or an organizational device to a marriage meeting? You'll find out in just a second. Keep the meeting to about 30 minutes. Don't make it something so long and laborious that both of you dread doing it. Okay, make it short and sweet. Get your business taken care of. You want to cultivate a positive atmosphere. You're there to build up and encourage your marriage, not to tear down. Okay, you want to make sure that both of you feel ownership in the meeting. It's not one, okay, okay honey, I'm the chair. Raise your hand if you'd like to speak in this marriage meeting. No, no, no. Your meeting is equals, okay? Here's the four parts. And I wish I had time to get into all of this in depth, but I don't. First is appreciation. Ladies, gentlemen, find things about which you can express appreciation for your spouse. What do you think that teaches us to do? To focus on the positive or the negative? In brief, I had a situation some time back. I'm raising three teenagers. Did I tell you that? Lord. And sometimes it was getting a little tiresome. And you know, I, I felt convicted that I was correcting my children more than I was praising them. So I got out my little notes app and I started a list that I keep building on where I write down things I appreciate about my kids. Because even though they're teenagers and they're finding their boundaries and it kind of drives me crazy sometimes, I love my kids and would give my life for them. So I want them to know that part about dad, not just the times I have to correct their behavior. Do the same thing with your spouse. Your spouse may be the most irritating person in the world. You married them, so chances are you might be irritating too. Birds of a feather flock together, right? You know I'm picking. The point is, we often have similarities, okay? And if you have that fervent love that's covering a multitude of sins, you can focus more on the positive than you do the negative. Are you tracking with me? So write down those good things. Appreciation should be one of the best parts of the meeting. Chores. You're going to talk about things that you need to do. You're going to touch base on finances. Make sure you're tracking on your spending. Those sort of things. Hey, we've got to make sure this is paid off. Oh, did we cover that bill? And it's a partnership, okay? But you should be helping out around the house, guys. Again, your wife is not one of the appliances, even if she did wear a white dress. Okay, I'm speaking against that. I hope you caught that. So guys, you ought to be helping out around the house. Get in there. Get involved. Don't just sit down and you know, start flipping through Netflix or whatever after supper. Clean off the table. Help do the dishes. Put the food away. Get in there and help her fix supper. Work together. Talk about those chores. See, here's why you brought your calendar. Here's why you brought your organizational device. Didn't that sound kind of nerdy? I almost wanted to do this when I put that one on there. Um, my little pocket protector or something. But you want to talk about, here's some good things we're going to go do. We're going to schedule a time to go out and do thus and such. Here's the thing. 
I was once told that the road to a hot place was paved with good intentions. Interpret that for yourself. We can talk about, oh, honey, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, but if you never plan to do it, it won't happen. And then your life will be the story of failed plans because you never plan to do it. So bring your calendar and say, hey, we're going to do this Sabbath afternoon. We're going to do this Sunday. We're going to do this. Make plans to stick to them. Do it within your budget. And then the last part of the marriage meeting, talk about any challenges that are there. Sweetheart, you said this the other day, and it, it was just kind of hurtful. I felt put down when our friends were over. I'd, I'd, I would appreciate it more if you didn't say that. Does that sound like an attack or a plea for help? So it's all in how you present yourself. Well, you said such and such, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, no, thank you. I don't want the weed eater or the Rottweiler at the marriage meeting. So that's why, you, you know, if something did not get resolved, Here's a time to bring it up. If there's an issue with the kids, talk about how you're going to deal with that together. Okay? In the last part, again, I'm going to put this up quickly, and this is our, this is our last part. When it comes to raising the kids, you've got to respect each other's authority. Don't let your kids play you against each other. If mom says no, dad better not say yes. Unless mom and dad go and talk and say, well, the reason I'm wanting to say yes is because of this and this, and I had kind of promised, okay, I didn't know you said that. And then you come as a unified front and say, okay, I didn't know dad had done this, so your dad and I are saying yes. Because kids are sharp, and they will play you like a fiddle. Just sweet music as they get their way with you. Be on the same page. Talk about how you want to educate them. And have the answer before you ever have them. My wife and I decided that public school was not an option for our kids. And I'm not saying that to put anybody down here. I graduated from public high school. Never went to an Adventist school until I hit Southern Adventist University. Okay, and the Lord saved me. So I'm not beating up anybody that goes to public school or whatever. Just for us, we decided that was the best option for us. So make those decisions together so that you're not arguing about it. Talk about whether or not mom will stay home. We decided that it was important enough for us that Ginger be the one raising our kids that we wanted to live off one income. Was it hard? Yeah, it was tough a lot of times. But we wanted her the one to be the one to do that. She wanted to do it, and so it worked for us. Maybe some of you will say, you know what? My wife needs to work or my wife wants to work. That's fine. You guys decide that together, though so that you're not creating tension. That's all I'm saying. You want to begin character development early. Why? Because the experts will tell you that a child's base character is formed by the time they're six or seven years old. So when you see these kids running around absolutely lost their mind as 10-year-olds, good luck with the people that have to deal with them. Because there's character development that's taking place there that's going to be hard to unlearn for them. So you want to start developing that character as early as possible. Does that make sense, friends? Oh, mercy, we are completely out of time. Now, what I would like to do, because we're out of time, if there's anybody that feels that they need to leave or wants to leave, please know I'm not going to be upset or look at you badly. If you need to step out, that's fine. But I'm willing to continue for a few more minutes for any that might have questions. Is that fair enough? Okay. And so what I'm going to do, though, 
is I'm going to go ahead and have a word of closing prayer so that we can stop the recording, and then I'll do whatever questions you may have. Okay? So let's just bow our heads for prayer. Loving Father, truly we are blessed because you have guided us on marriage. And Father, I want to be about your business. I want to follow your leading. And Lord, I want my friends here to have healthy and blessed marriages. Father, I just pray that the things that have been presented today, that they've been a blessing. Lord, I know we've gone very quickly, but I pray that we would take time to go back and think about and digest some of these things more deeply, more fully. So Lord, just keep us in your care. I lift up every person in here, every person that's married, every person that's single, that's contemplating marriage. And Lord, I pray that their lives would be completely surrendered to Jesus Christ, that there would be nothing between you and them that it would be 100% sold out to you. And Lord, help us as parents to know our boundaries, to know when to step back, when to let them fly from the nest themselves, and when to interject counsel. And Lord, I pray that we'd have the wisdom and discernment to know how to do that. But Lord, let us all and always serve you and be servant leaders in our home. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.